to First Online with Friends, There's No Place Like Art, featuring ordinary people doing extraordinary things in the arts to make our world a richer, deeper, kinder place to live. I'm Fran McGarry, host and dedicated believer in the supernatural healing power of the arts. And boy, have we been through a lot this past month. Rampant gun violence continues to traumatize our nation. Police arrest 31 Patriot Front extremists, a white supremacist group packed into the back of a U-Haul truck with riot gear in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, where the North Idaho Pride Alliance was holding an event. Conservative Judge Ludic's January 6th testimony that Trump, his allies, and followers present a clear and present danger to our democracy. And then there's Lady Ruby, Lady Ruby Freeman, who courageously spoke her truth. Do you know how it feels to have the President of the United States to target you? The President of the United States is supposed to represent every American, not to target one. Oh, and then suicide rates among those ages 10 to 24 increased 57% between 2007 and 2018, according to the National Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Worse, emergency room visits by adolescent girls for suicide attempts increased 51% between early 2019 and early 2021. Drag queen story time are vilified as degenerate. LGBTQ rights canceled by Texas Republican legislators. That's just some of the news for the month of June. So what are we to do? Today's guest, Danny Martinek, a New York-based non-binary actor, writer, and storyteller, has worked up the courage to share her experiences through drawing, writing, reading books aloud to experience the world on her terms. Welcome, Danny. Thank you so much for having me, Fran. And thank you for opening up this conversation because the first thing I want to offer to you is that I use they, them pronouns, not she, her pronouns. They, them. Yes. Thank you. And I know it's been your experience that the more of the world that you experience, the more context that you have to understand yourself and vice versa. And in communicating truthfully through the stories you tell, other people feel seen and understood to kind of create a ripple effect of open-heartedness to places you'll never know. Let's open our talk about what some of those places are and how has your work made a difference? That's such a big question. <laughs> I think the goal of of any sort of art making is translating the world, is bringing us together, is communicating something deeply important that we feel can't fully be communicated in any other way, right? And it's sort of 
as you mentioned my pronouns earlier and that how coming to know myself through that and through art and all these different things in the moment we're in i myself as an individual have developed certain habits and ways of being where it doesn't if i am misgendered like just happened at the beginning of this conversation to me it becomes a learning opportunity i do have that little adrenaline spike and that that sort of moment of oh that's that's not quite right especially if it's coming from someone who is ostensibly aware of my pronouns and who I have had a conversation with. To me, it's, I'm usually in a space where it's, or it's, it pricks me, but I don't bleed, if that makes sense. Like it's a bit more of a capital S stoicism thing where it's, I, the thing has happened, I accept it. And my, what's on me now is how I respond to it. And that's so important because instead of calling people out, mm. you're calling people in. And using someone's correct personal pronouns is a way to respect them and create an inclusive environment, just as a person's name can be a way to respect them. Yes, exactly. Great point, Fran. It's really, and I feel like in these conversations, so that's how I prefer to operate. I love to have these calling in conversations and those little moments of like, well, actually it's this, and that's a teaching moment. And I'm coming from a place of, we are all learning together and this might be new to the other person. So I'm coming from a place of safety and stability and I myself am okay. But in this wider context we're in, in the US and in the wider world, in different ways, not everyone is as safe as I am to respond in that way. And I've increasingly been having conversations with myself about am I doing others a disservice by by letting things go or by not having as many of these conversations like if I'm usually if I'm like in a restaurant or something and I'm just casually misgendered I don't care because I'm probably never going to see this person again and it doesn't hurt me but what am I teaching or not teaching this person in this interaction what what learning are we both missing out on and if I do start to have those conversations with those people, what kind of protection can that experience offer trans people who come after me for yeah. whom being misgendered is a matter of life and death? So that's the kind of, and it feels, especially with the news week and news time that we've been having these kinds of conversations that drive us as people and as artists. Let's back up a little bit. I'm curious to know, your evolution uh, of acknowledging your identity. Right. I think for me, the gender weirdness, and I, I use weirdness in as, as least, the least pejorative way possible. It's, it's something I love about myself that when I was younger was kind of a source of, of disconnect, of, of tension. But the gender weirdness is something I didn't really have words for as a kid, especially like not when I grew up, where I grew up, the context I grew up in. Uh, it just wasn't in the air. It wasn't in the water. It wasn't like, you were just a weirdo. And so 
I tried to fit in in different ways. And then when I, I noticed the, the moments when I tried to put on other aspects of identity that maybe felt a little right to me, a little like, ooh, maybe this is something that fits, the responses that I got made it emphatically clear that that was not okay. So it's deeply exciting to me to see kids younger and younger really key into who they are and have the words for it and have words that really speak to them. At the same time, also deeply concerning that society continues to emphatically tell them, no, that's not okay. As we see just with the kind of sense of helplessness and hopelessness that I think comes with what you were saying earlier about suicide rates and uh, things like that. I have a little bit of a personal experience with with suicide. Um, not getting into too many details, but really in my experiences, it comes from that feeling of isolation. So like you might be, you might have people around you. In your brain, you know they love you, maybe. But in the moment, it just feels like that connection isn't there and nothing's going to change. One of the things I feel is so, so deeply beautiful about many aspects of the queer experience is this idea of found family of chosen family and community in that way. And it's echoed to some extent in the arts. They're, these have been kind of parallel forces in my life and many people's lives where it's you come together for a shared purpose with a shared sense of identity even though you're different and coming from different places in many cases. In art, you come together to make the play, to shoot the movie, to write collaboratively. You have this goal. And then in queer circles as well, and not everybody uses that term. That's a term that is still kind of actively being reclaimed. So please don't let my use of it speak for everyone. In the LGBTQIA plus community, there's also that sense of there's something that we weren't getting in our earlier experiences of family and community that we have to go out and actively build. And I think there's a lot of hope in that building. And what do you think is the source of your hope? And how did you personally channel that hope? Hmm. I think for me, hope is really tied to a sense of curiosity and wonder, I think. So how can I, how can I rephrase that? There's something about hopelessness that feels very final, like it's done. There is nothing else out there to discover. This is the way it is. This is the way it's always going to be. Nothing I can do can change that, right? So to me, kind of feeling my way into its opposite or its complement, hope then is, well, what if there is something else out there that I just am not seeing yet or I'm not feeling yet? And how do I get there? And who can I bring with me? And there's that connection. Yeah. 
you said that you're a storyteller, mm. you're an actor, you're a voiceover, uh, story, literally tell, read stories aloud. Yeah. And uh, you also, interestingly, started a meditation process. So talk how your personal identity has facilitated these avenues of expressing yourself. Oh, yeah. Um, just through different creative pursuits. I think as a kid, I was really drawn to visual art. I had an uncle who was a painter and a musician, and I would like follow him around with a sketchbook that was always mostly full. And then I also wrote stories, and that kind of petered off a little bit at some point in school. And then I found acting, so which was great as a shy kid to kind of be forced to put myself out there and be vulnerable in a socially sanctioned way, in a way that was less likely to backfire. You know, so that was that was a nice exploration, and it's led to being able to tell stories in a way that I see people really connect with. And as you mentioned, I also narrate audiobooks. I don't just have people sometimes like message me on Instagram or something say like, I just wanted to let you know how much your reading of this book just really spoke to me. Really. I really connected with it. And I'm like, that is amazing. Thank you so much. Cause we, it's that connection that I think we're looking for as storytellers. And I wish we lived in a culture where storyteller was still a prized position that, uh, it is to some extent, I suppose, but it's not really, not really sanctioned in that kind of way. How, how have times changed since you're growing up compared to today's don't say gay culture? There's a part of me that still feels like I'm always growing up, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that. Yes. Right? It's that constant evolution of discovering who you are and, and where you are. And here I am at age 70, you know, doing a doing a podcast and submitting roles for blue bloods and yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's just it's just a wonderful thing. And I personally channel this this frustration with what's going on in my world yeah. through the podcast. And my hope is that voices like yours will reach out to somebody out there who will listen to what you're saying. Thank you for your trust in me and, and asking me on to talk with you. I think it's, it's wonderful. And that's the kind of bringing along that I try to embody in my own practice. Like, as you mentioned, the, the meditations and all these things, part of what I discovered for myself a few years ago, just in managing my own mental state, depression, anxiety, whatever else was going on in the world, I stumbled on a mindfulness practice and I tried it a couple of times before it hadn't really taken. And then I started trying it in a different way and it just kind of clicked. And now it's a daily practice. It's something I do that's just become a part of me. And so then it's something I want to share. Like I've put out a couple guided meditations on insight timer which is a free app free platform and then also do personalized guided meditations for folks who want something a little more specific whatever they're going through 
it really kind of just started because people were like, oh, you know, when you're not doing weird alien voices, you have a very soothing voice. And I'm like, okay, there is a thing we can use to help and like connect people. So I suppose these are all ways of making sense of what we see going on in the world. And as you mentioned before, like, how is the world different from when you were growing up to now? I kind of always look at the world with this sense of awe and and wonder, but from a couple different points, it's like, wow, this is still happening, or this is happening again, or wow, this is happening. You put it in a nutshell. Yes. I'm so glad we're talking today because I'm feeling so overwhelmed by everything that is going on. And you're kind of grounding me. <laughs> so, so thank you. You know, it's like, okay, we've been here before. We'll get through this. There are good people. I just saw a strange loop. Oh, you saw it. Yes. Good. Oh my God. And, and I got to, to hug and, and take a picture with the star of the show. It was just amazing. Michael R. Jackson, who is the composer lyricist, said it was a variety interview. He said, I never think of myself as an activist, but I do believe in the power of art. And in a way, a strange loop does connect to pride because the show is expressing itself without fear. So much so that it's not afraid to show even the shame. He said, I, I often hear a lot of gay men said, oh, we need to move away from stories about shame or the closet. And my response to that is always complicated because that might be somebody's story. Why should they have to hide the ugly parts if that's part of who they are? And, and that it's a show that exposes all of the parts of its protagonist, even the parts that may make some gay or queer people feel uncomfortable. Isn't that brilliant? Yeah. I, I guess that's why he won the Pulitzer. <laughs> <laughs> so a reaction to that in your own personal take. I mean, I've been kind of circling around this realization for a while now that we need different stories at different times in our lives and in our societies, in our communities. And where someone else is in their journey might be radically different from where I am. So finding a place where we can speak to each other and have this exchange of ideas and this exchange of heart is what's so important to me, I think. And especially with certain identities that I hold, there is that kind of war between like, I am white, I am relatively able-bodied and I have thin privilege and I have all these other privileges that enabled me to move pretty freely throughout society and just give me gifts that I never asked for just because of the way I exist in the world. But I also hold other identities that really kind of don't operate like that. And so finding these bridges is very important to me and is just becoming more and more something as I excavate myself as an artist, as a human, and kind of build my practice, something that is embedded more deeply in that. And just trying to lead from love and hope. I'm taking a, a workshop with Dr. Loretta 
Ross, who created this calling out, calling in uh, workshop. And much of what you are talking about is what she's advocating. You know, get past the ego, get past the aggressive, which is hard for me because I tend to get in people's faces. (laughs) That's me. So I'm learning to ask questions, you know, take, have my ego take a back seat. And instead of wanting to put my, my hands around somebody's neck and strangling them and saying, don't you get this? It's like, no, Francis, (laughs) you you need to step back and to try to understand the other person's perspective. For you, they, they, their, your pronoun. Right. You know, you started to talk about it, but I'm interested in getting more stories about that. You know? Yeah. I think I just, I had kind of locked it off in my mind that like, oh, this is how, this is how I have to be. And then I, as I kind of expanded my artistic community and living in New York and having other people to model different ways of being for me, I noticed someone else using those pronouns. And at first it was a bit of a, a shock response. Yeah. But as I let it work on me and kind of seep into me, I realized something was rising up to meet it. And it really felt it felt like being seen in a way that I had never allowed before or felt was possible. And there's that, there's this identity moratorium that we typically go through between the ages of like 14 to 17, where you try on a bunch of different identity hats to see what feels good. And this just felt like another one, like right before my thirties that I was like, Oh, Oh, this feels great. I did not know this was a thing. Now that I know this is a thing, this is the thing for me. And that kind of realization. And it's really, I find, so pronouns in general, neo-pronouns as well. A lot of folks who had a background more like I did, who were just not exposed to these things, find them really difficult. And I pronouns of any kind, this is a sign of respect. It's just how we speak to each other as humans operating in a society, just to kind of approach each other with that same energy that we would like to be treated but at least the they them pronoun I feel like it's I I actually kind of have fun explaining it to people because they're like but doesn't it get weird if you're just referring to one person like actually we are champs at doing this we just maybe don't realize it so if you are out in public and you just see say you see something on the ground and you notice it's a a ring of keys or something you're like oh someone left their keys you do it without even thinking and you do it when you don't know the gender of the person who has left their keys so that's why for me I just am inviting folks to use this pronoun because my gender is not easily explained by he or she so we're using they and there you have it before we, we wrap up, I mean, I could talk with you for hours, but we want to wrap up on a note of, of hope and where you are taking yourself, they, there, to the next level. Where is she going? He, they, there. See? Oh, you got it. Yeah. 
It is. And you know what's great, um, Danny, is you make me feel so comfortable. That's the key, which is why I reached out to you. Mm. You know, I'm learning. We are all learning. Yeah. And the basic, the basic truth is the core of our humanity. Yep. We're human beings, you know, and thanks for being patient with me. Of course. And I feel like learning in public is some of the most radical things you can do. It's, it's not, we have to take care for the moments when it can be actively harmful, but I also feel like it's a great modeling tool. And by, and by being courageous and putting yourself out there to learn in public with me in this way, you're modeling that behavior for other people. And I want to thank you for that, Fran. You're very welcome. Thanks for coming on the show today. Uh, let's make sure we stay in touch. Yes, please. And uh, I'm looking forward to when our, our paths cross again. Thank you so much. Me too. Thank you. Find out more about what Fran is up to. Go to her website at firstonlinewithfran.com. This program was produced by March Hair Media and recorded at Wheat Sheet Studio Productions. Mm-hmm.